Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor in the College of Education at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, we are excited to have Dr. Cristobal Salinas Jr. with us from Florida Atlantic University. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Michelle, for inviting me. I'm excited to spend the next uh, few minutes, hours with you. <laughs> it's going to be very good. So I'm looking forward to it. So this is the part where I build rapport with you. So we have, you know, comfortable conversation and witty banter and all of that kind of thing. Um, so before we get to our topic, I'm going to ask you a few questions just so the audience can get to know you a little bit better. So let's just start with kind of that opening as um, we're in spring and, you know, people are looking to graduate and they're going to be going into the job search. We'll role model some of that. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got where you are today. Yes, so that's a heavy question, right? Because I think when, I, when you ask that question, I have to think about my growing up, right? So I grew up in Mexico, uh, Zacatecas, the state of Zacatecas. I was born and raised there. And then I migrated to the United States in eighth grade after my father was kidnapped by police officers uh, right, and I do have to stop here and talk about that really quick. He's okay, number one. And two, uh, one of the questions that I get asked oftentimes is, was he kidnapped by the drug cartels? Right, and again, people stereotype of that experience, right? But no, he was kidnapped by police officers. So it was a political governmental act, right? So that, that's when my father, my family, my parents decided to relocate after he was saved from that experience. Uh, so then I grew up in Nebraska. Uh, I went to the University of Nebraska at Kearney, which in a small uh, public institution where I, I really appreciated and enjoyed. You know, I think like most student affairs uh, practitioners, like we really loved our experience. So we want to work in the field, uh, making this experience even better for other students. But I, I have to mention this because uh, I had to learn English. Right, and going to a, a public small institution, it really allowed me to get the one-on-one -on -one attention with the faculty. It really allowed me to um, learn English faster. Uh, and I, although I learned English in eighth, ninth grade, but when I got to college, I still, there was a lot of words I didn't understood or did not know. So I feel like college was still a learning experience, culturally, but also linguistically, right? Uh, so I have to, to emphasize on that. Um, and I really love my experience at the University of Nebraska at Kearney because I had that one-on-one -on -one with interaction with faculty and staff, right? I had my class, my, I remember, and, and I think about English because I struggled so much with English classes in, in high school. But again, my high school English teacher was so excellent, so good, that when I went to college, you know, you hear the stories of, of uh, good and bad, positive and negative from different perspectives. But I, I don't know, I don't think it's about the instructor, the faculty, it is more about our learning preferences, right? How we prefer to learn. Uh, but I found this instructor that, um, who, who really taught in, in, in her English classes, diversity, and that really engaged me a lot in the English classes, right? In, in the reading, 
Uh, so I was able to see myself in some of these readings, but it really allowed me to expand on, 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 my, on, on my English ability, skills, uh, comprehension skills, uh, writing skills, communication skills. So I have to give context to that, right? Because if you think about it now, this is all what I do. We know I read and I write and I teach uh, as a faculty, right? In, in my research and also when I teach. Um, but that experience in undergrad also was painful because you know there was a lot of uh, racism, uh, right? And that's also the, the time that I questioned myself. If there is people, if there's no people that look and sound like me at the administration level or at faculty level, then who is to then who is going to advocate for students like me, right? So that's how I decided to go into student affairs. After I finished my undergraduate at uh, the University of Nebraska Kearney, I did go to Washington D.C. where I was working uh, uh, in a fellowship for for Michael Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado, which is a phenomenal experience because at the time I wanted to be a lawyer too, right? I was trying to unpack or explore my what I wanted to do. And then somehow I ended up at Iowa State, right? Uh, after I taught high school in, in Houston, Texas, then I, I came back to Iowa State. Uh, and again, that's where I met you. And I was so lucky to be at an excellent time with excellent faculty, excellent, excellent peers, colleagues uh, at Iowa State that really uh, in the student affairs program, master's program, that really expanded my thinking, my mind. It challenged me a lot, right? I remember a lot of my colleagues, my friends, uh, we used to cry in class, right? Because we were unpacking what power and privilege means in, in that, these conversations, but also we were learning about ourselves in this, in this journey. Uh, and then uh, during the master's program, I get a job, if you remember, I was the multicultural liaison officer for the College of Design. So I had to finish doing my master's and my PhD. Uh, I'm sorry, I finished my master's and working full-time at, at the same time. But I, as I recall, and I have reflected on this and this question, right? Like when, when we ask about students that are doing the job search, I always question, will I get a job because of my accent, how people have interacted with me, right? Uh, and, I, I, and I do want to acknowledge that my accent has simulated because I speak mostly English now in my work, right? Uh, I read and write everything in English, not in Spanish necessarily, but... Um, that's one of the things that I, 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 when I, when I, I was asked to apply for that job, I said like, oh, this is a good opportunity, right? If they're asking me to apply, then what if I apply, I graduate and then apply and I get rejected by universities that I'm not going to be able to get a job because of my accent. And uh, I mean, there's more to that, right? Like that I'm not unpacking that, you know, maybe we can unpack later on. Uh, but I think the accent, how people interact with me, their comments, how they behave, really impacted uh, my thinking at the time. So for reason for which I decided to stay at Iowa State, because I felt comfortable, comfortable, they knew me, I knew I could potentially get a job and I struggled with a job search, right? So that's, that, that's very important to say. But when I was working as, an, uh, as a multiculturalist and after Iowa State, then I decided to take PhD classes, right? Um, but then I decided to apply it. And within that, I remember very, I remember asking, a faculty, and, um, and this is really like not pleasant because, you know, again, it triggers me a lot when I said, hey, I want to get, I want to apply for the PhD program. And a faculty member said, uh, well, you should really consider that, uh, uh, but also consider the fact that you have a, uh, that English is your second language. 
you're not the best writer. You have an accent and that plays an impact on how you will succeed in classes, right? So again, that, so the accent plays a significant role of how uh, people interacted with me when they hurt me, right? So uh, of course there's more layers of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, but uh, the accent plays a significant role, right? Of, of how this, and then I went to another faculty and I said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm a new faculty that I never really met. Uh, and he, they said, yeah, apply. So I applied, I got into the program and I started again doing the uh, PhD full-time and working full-time, mm -hmm. right? So I did not know I wanted to be faculty. It is through that time of my socialization and interacting with faculty that really inspired me to be faculty. But I think the other, the, the other thing that, that plays a significant role here is the same reason for why I wanted to become, why I study in undergrad um, uh, to become a teacher, right? Because I'm a trained K-12 teacher because my ESL teacher advocated for me. But I had also other teachers in, the, in, in eighth, ninth grade that really, uh, that were racist, right? So same with, it, with, with the faculty, I really saw how faculty believed in me and how other faculty would question me, right? So I said, I have the power to inspire uh, and to help students succeed in this. And plus I have never had a faculty of color throughout all the way to my, my, uh, my master's program. Right, in the United States. My first Latina faculty was Susana Munoz. My second faculty uh, of color was uh, Dr. Natasha Kroom. And then my third one and last one was Dr. Tara Jordan, right? So I think that gives context to what, like there's not enough people that look like me or sound like me. I want to be the person for other, the mentor, the faculty for other person that I never had, uh, but also I really appreciated how faculty in, uh, invited me to start thinking critically and invited me to be in research. So then I said, oh, I wanna be faculty, right? But the other experience that I had that really it, it, it inspired me, I, I guess I have so many. One of the things that really I remember and I talk about it is when I went to ASH with Nancy Evans, right? I remember people going to the session I don't know if it was because of the topic or because of it was Nancy Evans. Mm -hmm. I think they went to see that Nancy Evans. So it really, I, I think that was inspire, inspirational because people were going to learn from the expert, right? They wanted to meet her. And also when I was, when I went to ACPA with Nancy Evans, I remember some of my friends at the time from other schools, they said, can you have your faculty sign our student development book? So it's like, really? But that's my faculty, right? Like how, like you can ask them, they're human. So I think that also uh, uh, really inspired me to like not to be romanticized, how we romanticize faculty, but really the impact that the writing or thinking can have on other people. Uh, and then I did, again, I applied, I still have the list. I applied to over 45 jobs. I have my Excel sheet still, right? Because I remember thinking, I might not get a job because of how I sound, my accent, because that's been a reminder of my daily life in the United States, right? And then I applied for jobs. I applied for administration and for faculty once I finished a PhD. Um, I was leading more stress faculty, but again, I did not have no publications. 
So that's a big, big key right here. Uh, that I was like, oh, well, I need to apply for other jobs outside of um, faculty, outside of ac uh, academics. So I, I was applying for uh, student affairs, administration, and also outside in, in, in policy, right? Because that's always been an interest of mine. But one of the things that I, I can talk about that, again, we were not going through a pandemic, right? I think that's another layer that we are seeing right now, how we might be challenged if I was more right now, but if I was doing the job search, that would be another layer that I would have to think about, right? Um, at that time, it was not that, I was, we were not in a pandemic, so I didn't have to think about that. But I remember when I was doing my um, interview talks, just for example, um, I'm just gonna give you the examples of those that I applied to be faculty. I got invited, uh, let's say, really to like seven, eight uh, uh, interviews, but out of, Three of them were on phone and three of them were on Skype before we had Zoom, okay. right? So interesting enough is that the people that invited me, that I interviewed me via phone, did not invite me to an on-campus. The people that interviewed me via Skype invited me to an on-campus. Mm. So I think there's, a, again, maybe I'm overthinking because that's been my experience of my accent, right? How people hurt me they made assumptions. So that's that's part of my process, right? But also I remember when I uh, applied for jobs, I would, because I always, in my in my statement, in my letter, I write up, I position myself of my, my experiences in the United States because that's been influential to my learning, my thinking, and how I negotiate academia and my own research. But one of the things I talk about is how I migrated from Mexico to the United States, right? Because that's my experience. Um, and I got a letter, I got an email from a university saying, uh, if you are an international student, we can't hire you. We don't offer sponsorships, citizenship sponsorships or uh, uh, work visa sponsorships, right? And I was like, that was problematic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I got another email uh, saying, "Are you uh, question me? Are you an international scholar?" It's like, uh, and, and again, I think the multiple things happen here, right? Not the fact that they think I'm an international scholar student, right? But I think to me, it's more like it's not offensive for me that part. What it's offensive is that how are you? What is your thinking? Like, why are you making assumptions, right? And because of my name, Cristobal, or is it because of I talk about how I migrated? Uh, but again, that, that now my thinking also goes back to like, how are international scholars treated, right? Something that I, we don't have to think about it, right? Because yes, uh, I'm privileged in many ways, but that also provides context to, to this layer. So then I got interviewed, I, that same day, I got job offers by Florida Atlantic University, my current school and another institution. And I had to talk to my mentors, you know, uh, one of them was a smaller uh, regional school and of course, Florida Atlantic University an R1, R2 institute, R2 institution aiming to be an R1 uh, and also the other one being more in the Midwest and this one in South Florida, uh, right? So I think that also played a significant decision of me making the decision like, oh, where am I going? Uh, but really when I came here, uh, it was very strategic and smart, right? I mean, the department, my interview, when it was, my experience was awesome in the interview, but to put that cherry on the top, 
they took me back to the airport in the ocean drive, which it is the drive that drives by the ocean. So like I was sold with that, right? Like I could be here in winter after leaving Iowa State when, you know, winters are cold and windy. So that's another thing that sold it out for me. Like it was easy to, to make my decision. But the other thing that advice that I got is where you start your career, that's where you're more likely going to be. It's easier for you to go from an R1 to an R2 or a pub, public regional, private regional university or teaching institution than if you go start at a teaching and uh, go back to an R1 because how people perceive, right? Uh, and I experienced that in the interview too because I didn't have publications. So some R1 universities will say, you don't have enough research. And some teaching institutions will say, you have too much research. You come from a research institution, right? So I think the battle of uh, understanding context of the battle of really, oh, I don't know if it's a battle, but perceptions that people have towards institutions and towards people. Right. And here I am today. And I'm very grateful that you're here today, um, not just for the podcast, but because of our working relationship too. So, so you, you touched on this. I want to give you a chance to expand on it. Um, and, and first, let me just thank you for the transparency and the, the depth of your, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Cause I think sometimes that's a question and in an interview, you know, you want to be focused and move on to what's next. But I think in conversation too often we breeze over that, you know, oh, well, I, and we say three things and move on. And there's a lot more depth and richness to who we are than just our job and, you know, two other things. So I appreciate that. You, you mentioned some people who've been instrumental kind of in your experience. Could you talk a little bit more? Um, because one of the things that we always talk about in student affairs and um, faculty working in and around student affairs is how small the field is. And I think it's good for, <clears throat> for people listening to hear who our connections are because we're all connected, you know, as human beings first and foremost, but within this profession, we all know people and places, we have those things in common. So would you mind highlighting someone who has been kind of instrumental for you just as a point of reference and connection for other people who might be listening? Yes, in relationship to my development, my socialization as faculty, right? Uh, that's who I'm gonna focus on. And I, I don't wanna say one person because there's been multiple people. Sure multiple mentors uh, that have mentored me. Of course, you know, I think I think my chair, Larry Evers, mm-hmm. me, that mentored me through the process in the PhD, but also um, out beyond him, most of my mentors and people that have guided me have been women, mm-hmm. right? So I'm thankful for the labor, the work uh, that have done to, to make me critical thinkers and to motivate me and to give me feedback in this process, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I think about, um, uh, I'm gonna just give back context to the, the, the three faculty that, so the Faculty of Color Socialists, the so- mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, play a significant role in my socialization as faculty or in my development as a scholar. I, I, you know, I, I'm thankful for Susana Munoz. I remember the first time that I met her. I, I think I, my, maybe second time, I might have cried with her, to her, right, about my experiences in, in, in academia. And again, I think now that I'm faculty, it's like, oh my gosh, I put all this other uh, more work on her, right? Because she's probably going through the same as a, a faculty in a primarily one institution, right? So I, she really helped me uh, expand my thinking be, uh, and question my privilege. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she did. It really allowed me to question my privilege. So I'm really thankful for, for her and like, really allowing me and creating the space for me to go through that process because it's not easy, right? Um, um, so that's uh, one person that I first want to, I'm thankful for. Um, and then also uh, Dr. Natasha Kroom, um, because her feedback was critical and good that make me a better critical scholar, right? And at the time when I was a student, I think I took it offensive because you know, like I'm a good writer. Or like, wow, this is my best work I can do. But she pushed me to do better and to think beyond my own thinking. She really allowed me to stretch my mind, right? And I don't think I ever, I'm not gonna say ever, but I think what I recall, Dr. Kroom was one of the first people that really gave me a lot of feedback, right? Uh, that really allowed me to be critical of my own writing and start questioning my own writing. Why did I say that? What am I, right? You're forget, forgetting about this community of people or different things. Um, and then also I think about uh, Dr. Jordan, right? Because the PhD, the dissertation writing is very lovely. Uh, she, Dr. Jordan was not, it's, it was not in my committee, but she read every single, uh, uh, she gave me feedback, every single page of my dissertation. So I think because of her also, I was able to have a strong draft before I give it to my dissertation chair, mm-hmm. right? So again, I think I'm thankful for the work, the labor of, of women of color because they have created a path for me in this way. Um, and I want to pay it forward for other people. Great. Thanks and so I, much. And I forgot a lot of other people, right? I mean, I even think about, I remember walking into your office and crying, right? Uh, about my experience, like I can't do this, overwhelmed or whatever it was, but there's many, many, many more people that I'm not mentioning that really have made an impact on my career that have helped me to be where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. That's great. What about, um, so depth perspective about you as a scholar, as a professional, as a person, like what what do you do outside of work? What are you reading and listening to? Do you have a a quote that really motivates you? Kind of what what's the rest of Chris? So uh, there's a lot of me, right? I think one of the things that when people ask me the qu- this question, I struggle because my first def- my first answer is well, I like to read and write for fun, mm-hmm. but I think I made my job a fun, right? Because I really enjoy my job. Uh, but outside of my reading and writing uh, for work, um, I don't know if I'm reading right now anything for fun because I see my reading for my research, my work is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very selective in my, in my reading uh, that is going to influence my thinking, right? Uh, and I, you know, the work of uh, most recently, I've been, uh, um, I have read most of the books of Bell Hooks. It has really mm-hmm. influenced 
of my thinking and, and, and question my own writing, right? My own thinking too. So that's been really influential in, in that. It's also fun, but I cite it in my work. Yeah. Uh, I can. Uh, but outside of academia and outside of my research and writing, uh, because of the location where I lived, you know, I love running by the beach. Uh, I'm active. Uh, I learned how to uh, go snorkeling, uh, which, you know, which is really fun um, because I'm close to the beach. So I'm able to do that. And also there's so much more to see under the water, right? That it's kind of scary when you go down there and you're like, oh, what is this? Something completely different. But I think that's something that we are facing every day in our lives that, you know, new things come our way that are like, how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, although uh, I'm putting myself into the water, right? And it's scary, but I'm learning to appreciate uh, uh, nature. I'm learning to, uh, to, to reflect and think. Something that I have, I'm doing new and the pandemic, pandemic is to journal about my feelings, right? So, because uh, I used to journal about my experiences, but not my feelings. So I've been journaling more about my, how and why do I feel the way I feel? And really unpacking some of my own thinking. So that's some, something I do uh, about me, uh, more about me that I do at Cerva Academia. I like, I'm very social, mm-hmm. right? But because with the pandemic, I, mean, I can't be social um, or we can't be social, but I think I, I really enjoy spending time with friends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and that's either talking in via camera and or, connecting in one way or another way. I also, this is something about me. I love sending mail uh, and that's, ther- uh, I find that as a therapeutic, I, I cannot pronounce that word, but like it's very therapeutic. Thank you. Yeah, it's very healing for me, right? So I love sending mail, handwritten notes to 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 my, my colleagues, friends, uh, family members. So I I do that for fun. I love how when you're talking about what you do for fun, many people would say, I like to go to the beach, but for you, it's still about exploration and learning and reflection and all of that. So that's great. Well, okay. I I appreciate you sharing about yourself and letting us know more about who you are and, and really to provide good context for your experiences kind of coming into the role that you play in higher and beyond higher education now. So um, I have some scripted questions. We'll kind of go through those, but as always, if there's something else that comes up or another direction you want to go, I will follow wherever you take us. So um, you talked about kind of how you found your way into the faculty role and um, some of the things that factored into you deciding to pursue faculty. You also talked about applying for both practitioner and faculty jobs. Was there ever a moment along the way where you really thought, oh, this faculty thing, that's, that's speaking to me. And that's where I think, I, did, you, did you, I think you said you were leaning more toward faculty in your job search. What kind of tipped the scales for you? Um, seeing my faculty engaging in research, right? Seeing uh, how they were seen as the experts in one area, one topic. So I think that really allowed me to like, oh, I want to do that too. You know, I want to be an expert on something. 
Um, in that I may sense at the time, like, oh, well, I need to be faculty, right? And I think that challenge for me was like, oh, man, what I'm going to be the expert on, mm-hmm. right? What do I have to study? But I think, again, that people, my faculty have been instrumental on my thinking, in my development. So I think I wanted to be an expert on something, right? Uh, and I think that's when I decided I wanted to be faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer, but it's direct answer because it, it evolved. It's a process that sure. I engaged with, with a reading, but also in conversations and seeing not only conversations, but seeing having the role models, mm. right? Because uh, they allowed it. They they allowed me to to see myself as one of them. How, how have you crafted your identity as you've become a faculty member? So, you know, that, that in part is about figuring out the topic you want to be an expert on, but it also is sort of claiming some space to share not just what you study, but how you do that and how you bring yourself into the work. So how have you gone about exploring and developing that that part of your identity? So there's, I, I guess I have a lot of feelings or answers or thinking about this question, right? Because academia makes us, they mold us into one person, right? Mm. Mm. And that is we are, this is our research and this is all what we do, right? But one of the things that I've been able to do because of my work, my, again, going back to the early question, my connections, my mentorship, with, with faculty, staff, uh, but also with other, uh, other organizations, right? I've been able to develop an identity as a scholar, uh, but also align with my research, right? But one of the things that I really am I'm, I'm critical of myself, it's how my research, it's not only research, but also applies, to, can be applied, or I apply it myself to my teaching and my service, right? Uh, for example, I believe on, um, on, on, on creating opportunity for others, right? So I think now as a editor-in-chief and also the founder for the journal Committed to Social Change and Race and Ethnicity, JC Score, I'm allowed and I can create those opportunities for people, right? Uh, either to serve in the uh, editorial board review and also uh, to give critical feedback for people to help them publish their, their work. Right, uh, so that's one way that I think about how it, uh, I think about myself critically first, of how my work also can be applied, or I can utilize my 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 work to help others, just like people have helped me. But also, I try to stay uh, outside of the ivory tower, right? Because that's something that, that that oftentimes we forget, right? Or we forget only in this space. So I try to also engage in the community, right? I think before uh, uh, my when I was an assistant before I got tenure, uh, I was not engaged with a community here, regional, right where I live right now. Mm-hmm. But now I'm getting more involved as I can, right? Of course, with the pandemic, it's been challenging. But uh, now that I have uh, that, you know, that you earn these accomplishments that you achieve, uh, uh, you got tenure or that I got tenure. Now I feel like a little I can breathe, although that work never ends. But now I'm able to go back and also engage in that community. So that's one thing, right? That I try to to cope or like try to engage with my local community, just not the higher education community. Right. right? 
But the other thing is that I think about how people perceive me, right? Because there's that who I am and the perception. And I think social media has a lot to do with it because I use Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but I don't publish everything, right? I just publish my accomplishments, my awards, and uh, my glamorous pictures at the beach, right? Because uh, it's always beautiful. It's always sunny. So there's always something to do or see. Uh, and that's all usually what I post in social media. Right, so I think people—I don't—I don't say I think because I've been—I've I've been criticized that I'm not humanistic enough, mm-hmm. right? That I just uh, I'm self-centered and, and these things. But one of the things I think about other people doing for themselves, what do it? But it's not about why can I do it for myself. It's also I use strictly use this space to share my 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 career, my accomplishments, my goals. Right? When it comes to me of um, engaging with that community. Because after times, you know, uh, I engage with vulnerable communities. It's like, like you can't take pictures. And plus, that's something that's healing for me that, you know, that I do separately. Um, uh, but also, I think about the, my identity as a scholar is one. Uh, it's not a, different from who I am as Chris, right? But I think it's how people perceive it. Mm-hmm. How I choose to what I publish on social media or not. Because I think I'm very family oriented and I hardly ever post anything about family. Because right? I think, you know, when I'm going through any challenges or, or, or stuff, then I talk to my friends about it. I talk to, to uh, a more, per, a more on the personal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that when you ask me that question, it's like, Ooh, who am I? Uh, 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 what's my identity? So I think I'm the same person, you know, I, 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 I am critical of myself, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, I acknowledge that there's a perception of what people see on social media and how they interpret that than who I am and what I'm not publishing in social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I've seen this with how you engage in the space. You, and this is me, so correct if I'm, I'm not phrasing this correctly, but you really seem to use social media in tandem with your work. And of course your work is connected to who you are. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so because I, I, the way that I think about it is research becomes research. If I look at my, my research, all of my research has been grounded or has been because of my experiences, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I think about that book on hazing that you and I co-authored. I was hazed as an undergrad student, right? So mm-hmm. that really plays a significant role on, my, on, my, on that writing uh, in, in, in various ways. So I think my positionality, and, and that's why positionality is so important in research and the work that we do uh, to reflect and think. Um, so yes, I use social media to, to promote that, but also it has, al- it has allowed me to, to promote my work, to create, you know, in a sense, to, to, uh, to expand to other communities beyond higher education, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To expand on that, but also uh, um, there's, an, there's a number when we think about metrics that mm-hmm. retweets every time you share it on social media, it could count for for that metrics in, in journals. But beyond that, uh, I have seen how I've been invited and interviewed or reached out by, I mean, by CNN, the New York Times, uh, via Twitter to ask me about my work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also how I got connected to Anchor via Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I have seen the power of social media, right? Because I think social media is very powerful. It's very powerful, mm-hmm. but also can do a lot of harm, damage because anyone can hide behind Twitter. 
Great. Or being social media overall. Well, and I also see you not just sharing your achievements and your scholarship, but I see you celebrating other people too. So there might be certain things you're posting about, but you're engaging with other professionals, other scholars, and, um, you know, celebrating their moments of success as well. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point, right? Because I think people have celebrated me and I also, again, paying it forward, right? And it's not a paying it forward, like if you are successful, I'm successful. Right. right. It's like right. it's a celebration for my community for for that. But the other thing is that I think that's where not that, but like I've been also told, oh, let's use Chris because he has a large followers, he can retweet us. Right. So I think that's also like, so are you using me for because I can retweet it or are you using me because we have a, a, a friendship? Right. I think that 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 to me is like, so is it about me or is it about the my usage of social media? Right. Uh, so I think that's also what I struggle when people uh, come to me just for that. I was like, mm -hmm. so I struggle with that. Yeah. Well, so you talked about research becoming me search. Can you talk? Um, you know, I think sometimes I'll just say I looked at faculty before I became faculty and thought, they knew sort of their trajectory and what they were going to be studying and how it would build on itself before they even started. That has not been my experience. You know, it's sort of, you're building it as you go for me. What's that been like for you? What, how has your um, research sort of found focus and how have you built that over time? Yeah. So one of the things that came to mind early on is how I studied my, or how I journal and write about my experiences as undergrad, right? Of, of oppression and racism and also privilege, right? Because I think there's also that part that plays a significant role. And I start with that starting point of, of my experiences as an undergrad student as a Latino gay male with an accent, right? And uh, at the time, I, I, I want to emphasize again, my accent has uh, easy, right? Because I also learned to enunciate words differently, to speak slower, because I tend to speak fast too. Um, but to this is that there's so much going on or so many experiences that I've had that if I experience it, there's someone else that has experienced it, right? Or if I have this feeling, someone else has this feeling. Um, but I've been able to connect my own work experiences or my own lived experiences to my research. Uh, so for example, I think about why did I do my dissertation on the socialization of Latino male faculty? Because I never had a male, even in my, in my experience in Mexico in, as, as a, in the K-12 system, I never had a, a male teacher, right? Uh, and then I come to the United States still never had a male uh, of color, Latino male, or I mean of color overall, right? Uh, and then I go into college, and it's not until the master's program that I have a Latina and two master's and PhD that I have a Latina and, and two black faculty. So I think for me it was more of like that experience, like why don't I have Latino male faculty uh, as, as as teachers or ever had him. So that's what I, I started to study because of my own experiences. I was like, ooh, let me study how they get socialized. Before I knew I wanted to be faculty, right? 
but also that allowed me to see myself going back to your question like oh i can be like one of them mm -hmm. right like listening to them uh, really allowed me but you also asked earlier the, 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 the question about connections and i don't think i answered it correctly or properly or directly but also me connecting with latino faculty interviewing them through my dissertation it really allowed me to build connections right mm -hmm. uh, because i can't i graduated from iowa state where there was like no uh latino faculty because by the time susana muñoz had left uh so i felt like I had to create a community of Latinos because I saw my colleagues, my friends that graduated from a school in California and they had, or Texas. And it was like, they knew all the Latinos, but I didn't, didn't know anyone, mm -hmm. right? So me interviewing Latino male faculty, it really also allowed me to like build that network, that connection uh, and see myself in them. And which relates back to my research, right? Mm -hmm. Representation, right? in academia but representation matters as we know um and also how we socialized in academia okay um do you have there's always that awkward pause because i don't want to interrupt and then but we're good um do you have some projects you're working on right now that you're really excited about or recent publications that you might want to direct people to, to learn more about you from the, the scholarship article book? Yeah, so, circuit kind of side? Yeah, so I oftentimes, and I've been socialized to do this, right? Not to mm -hmm. talk about my working process or my work that's under review, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because for various reasons. And one of them is people say, well, people will steal your work, right? And I have seen that. Right, I have experienced it. So uh, there's more work coming out. I can tell you that it's some exciting projects that I'm working on. Uh, you know, and, and one of the biggest projects that I have had that really have made an impact on my life or in my career is the term Latinx. Right, how my colleague Adel Lozano and I, uh, at NASPA, we were there when they like, have you in 2016, 2015? Have you seen this term? Have you heard this? And like, so we start questioning what it is, right? Mm -hmm not who it is uh, because people were calling it latin it's like so that's creating an identity but before we use it as a who it is we wanted to understand that what it is mm -hmm. so my research really on the term latinx like the what it is not the who it is so that's been a really fun project because i have learned so much and it has uh questioned my again my privilege and uh, mm -hmm. how we are oppressed also as a, as a Latino, Latino, Latinx and beyond um, uh, community, right? Uh, so that's been fun. And then also in 20, well, last year, 2020, I uh, had my second publication and it really challenges what Adele Lozano and I said in our first publication about the term Latinx, right? That we said that term Latinx is uh, inclusive of all and all of these things. And then I did more research and engaged with people and I, I questioned my own research, mm. right? So I think that was hard to do when you have to critique your own work, your own scholarship, right? So this new article on, the, on how students use the term Latinx or understand it and take it back to their communities was really impactful because I engage with research with students uh, in their usage of the term understandings and how they apply it and that challenge 
what we wrote back then. So now with this, this my, my research on Latinx, but also learning that Latinx is just a one perspective, right? And one way to how people can self-identify it. I have learned that there's other ways that our, our community, Latino, Latino, Latinx community are self-identifying, uh, right? There's Latine, Latini, Latino. So that's been very exciting. So I have a, I can talk about this because I'm friends already. Uh, I, I have uh, an expansion to that. I have a Delo Center and I have a, a book chapter on the handbook of Latinos in education on the history of the letter X mm. that plays a significant role on, on, on Latinx, right? Uh, so we talk about that because it has history to slavery, it has, uh, it has relationships to slavery, the mathematics, that plays a significant role in mathematics, but also to sciences, uh, to Christianity, uh, other ways that we haven't analyzed it or thought about. So that I'm really excited about that one. I have another um, article coming on, on, well, I shouldn't say that because it's under review. So, but yeah, I have a lot of work <laughs> on that in another uh, project that I'm working with you uh, that I'm super excited. So there's always something going on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what is exciting about being faculty. Uh, not only do I go to that, that, the classroom to teach, to engage with students, but I also have to engage within myself and my own critical thinking, my reading, and with other communities uh, to do this work, to do this research. So I have a lot going on, uh, uh, but it is, it is also about the, the time management, you know, but one of the things for those that want to be faculty or, or students that want to be faculty uh, or those that are thinking about academia, I'm stra- I try to be strategic as much as I can uh, to try to have so many publications under review because you never know when they're gonna come, right? Um, so I try to have at least two under review, two to three. Uh, and once one's published, then I try to submit another one. If I have it ready or not, I try to, to, to continue to on my research because you never know when they're gonna come out, uh, but I try to be consistent as much as I can, because you can't control when these journals publish or accept your work. And if they accept it, because that's the other thing that we haven't talked about, when what happens when it gets rejected, right? Because mm-hmm. my work gets rejected too, right? I'm not, I think that's something else that people like don't hear about, about me often because I never post about it, right? And I never talk about those feelings like, oh, that's really, like again, going back to my comment earlier, oh, that's hurtful, I'm like, right? Like I wrote that, but I think a lot of that feedback sometimes it's like, this paper could be, but it's not that what could be, it's like that what it is, right? So I think who your reviewer is, and it's painful, it can be painful, but one of the things that I have learned through this is that academia is full of rejections, right? So I'm always rejected, people are always rejected. So I learned not to take that personally. I think it's different when people critique my work, my research, and I want people to do that because that makes me a better scholar, a better thinker. Uh, and that's what research should be doing, right? Creating new new ideas uh, and allowing the space to have these conversations. But it's, so it's different when people critique our research than when they critique me. Yeah. When they critique me because of my, uh, either because of having an accent or because I chose, I chose to publish an article versus my, how I feel on, on social media, right? I think I take that more personally when people critique me than when people critique Mm-hmm. So I want people to engage. So if you were going to give advice to someone who is 
um, potentially starting a doctoral program about that experience, about what it's like to write the dissertation and then moving into a faculty role, what kinds of things, and I, I really appreciate you speaking to rejection um, because I've gotten better at receiving it. I, I don't like it at all, you know, because it's like you said, now I put real time into this and, and some rejection is hugely beneficial. You know, it really is, if you did this, this becomes stronger work, or it could just be, I chose the wrong journal to submit it to. Um, and some of it's not really helpful, you know, and you could almost tell when the reviewer is just not having a great day and wanted to get this off their plate and kind of took out some things on you. But when you think about, um, and I, I feel like you really do walk your talk when it comes to being accessible, being someone who tries to lift others up and, and be inspirational. What kinds of things would you say to somebody who's looking, whether they're a full-time professional um, or somebody maybe recently out of their grad program and they know this is for them down the line, what sorts of things would you share? Yeah, so let me, because I'm right now I'm thinking about that rejection, right? Because I think that's yeah. real. Those feelings are real and we cannot ignore them, right? right. Um, but that is something that I also, we, we also need to learn how to appreciate mm -hmm. or embrace it because rejection is going nowhere, right? So we cannot let rejection or these comments push us away from academia, right? Uh, so that's one thing. And I think about that rejection piece. My my latest paper on Latin Latinx, where I I, I introduced a new term, Latin Latin asterisks, to incorporate and talk about and really conceptualize or consider all the ways that Latin American people can uh, identify with in the mainstream language, but also beyond that, because there's other ways that they're self-identifying, right? So in that paper itself, I got eight revising resumes. Eight, right? So at the fourth one, I was frustrated. I remember calling my colleagues, like, am I wrong or are they wrong? Right? Like, what? So it was a discussion from my colleagues. Like, I have never been through this process. But at the same time now, right, at the moment, I was, like, frustrated, but I, like, I wanted to publish it. Like, giving me feedback. So I continue to work on the feedback. And that's, I really think that that paper became strong. Uh, you know, I think we can always critique it and look at things from different perspective, but at the time is the best work that I can produce, but also I'm thankful for the feedback that I received, right? Because I could easily just like pull it out and just like, well, I'm gonna go with another journal. But because of that feedback, it became good that it has been, I've been rich, like I mentioned earlier, I've been interviewed by CNN, quoted by CNN, but also the New York Times has reached out about asking about my work um, and uh, I mean, other news outlets, right? Mm -hmm. But again, it goes back to that rejection or the feedback that we, you know, we see a lot of reviewer too, that I have learned to em embrace reviewers two's comments or reviewer one or third reviewer mm -hmm. uh, in order to make me a better thinker, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm only thinking one way or the other way. So. So that I'm thankful for that process, but I it, that my feedback, my 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 advice to that, to all of this is, learn to appreciate rejection in academia. Don't let 
but don't let it reject you, right? Let it uh, challenge your thinking and your writing, but it's not about rejection because we need you, your value here, we need, we need you. Uh, we need more people in, in academia that look like me, that sound like me, um, uh, and so on. But the other thing I said is uh, same, same goes when we get feedback in the dissertation, right? Uh, our faculty are always giving us feedback and, and that's, it's not a rejection, but they're making us better, right? That's, or that's, that's, in my opinion, that's my job as faculty to make, uh, help students become critical thinkers to become better than me, right? right? Um, more better writers, better thinkers, right? Uh, and so on. And finding faculty that are gonna give you feedback, that's so important, but also taking that feedback, right? And that uh, uh, connecting that, don't not taking that personally. Because again, I think they, faculty wanna help you through this process. But the other, and they wanna see you succeed. Because if you're successful, we are successful. The other thing I think about is building a community, right? That is going to allow you to talk about your feelings, uh, help you to think out loud, because mm -hmm. I believe that your research, your writing should be that, be, be shared out loud too, uh, with a community that you feel safe uh, and so on. The other thing that I, I tell people when, in, in writing is like, how do you make sense of it? How do you work on this? One of the things that I, and it's still a struggle, a challenge. My parents don't speak English. So I try to explain my parents, my research in Spanish, my work, my thinking. And if it makes sense to them, then I feel like I can write about it, oh. right? So I think about, so I have to do more work because I have to translate it in, in, in terminology. Again, because I've been, I learned research terminology in English. So I have to think about it in Spanish, right? How, does, how do I translate that? How do I say that? And also thinking about that some of this terminology, it's not accessible to them. It's like, there's enough research language, like what, what are you saying? So if it makes sense to them, then it makes sense. I, I can write about it. That's another way that I have learned for me to like, okay, is this something? So I, I, but it goes back to finding the community, a group of individuals of people that, um, that can create a space for you and you with them, right? <laughs> but the other thing to that is that uh, allowing the space to be challenged. Right, things like expand your thinking and, and so on. Um, so that's my one. Some of my comments here back. But the other thing, advice I would say is, and I guess what I have learned the most about me as an academic, and this is most recently I discovered that I can't read on the computer. Mm -hmm. I have to have a printed copy. I have to have my my own notebook and write my notes, not type them. I have to write them, which takes more time. If I see a quote, I write it, and then I write about why it's important to me or how does it inspire my thinking or my research. And then I keep moving on with a paper. It takes more time than if I typed it, but I learned that in that computer, I can't retain information. Mm -hmm. I don't become a good writer, right? So that's something of finding your way in the times the methods that work best for you to be the writer who you want to be. But the other thing about that writing, you know, and I guess now it makes sense, but when people go, find your own voice, I don't see yourself. It's about finding your technique, who you are as a scholar. You know, one of the things as a writer, one of the things that I have done in my writing is I try to publish poetry in Spanish, if I can, right? And oftentimes this is, I can do this in my, in, in book chapters, more than peer review articles. Um, so I try to, I do that, right? Because I think for me, it's also a, a form of healing, it's connecting back to 
who I am, how I grew up, uh, but also when I give a copy of that to my parents, at least they can read and understand something, right? So I think finding ways of that's my voice, right? Um, uh, and so on. And, and now, as, you know, as I con continue to read, it's really influenced by uh, also um, Gloria Saldua's work, right? Mestiza uh, thinking uh, and when she writes in, in both English and Spanish. Uh, but I think I also do this because, um, I mean, I can relate it to research, but yeah, that would be something else and advice. The other advice I say, I would say is find time for yourself because we as faculty or we in academia are not good role models for that. We are not good role models of how to take care of yourself. And I always tell students or my colleagues, my friends, and I have to remind myself, right? Um, academia will always, will always be there and it will always require so much from us, right? So it's so important to take care of yourself, your loved ones. Uh, if you're in a relationship, take time, make time for that uh, and make for people that you love that you wanna spend time with. And that's something that I've been working on more, uh, right? Because I've been in a way, I, what I describe intense in my, in my academic journey so I'm learning also, and I'm, I give the advice because the advice that I give, I have to take it to myself, apply it to myself, to take time for myself. I love that. Well, I, and it's a nice note to kind of wrap up the conversation. Is there anything else that you want to share or anything I should have asked you about that I, I haven't asked you about yet? I know, I think, I hope, I mean, give responses to our conversation. Uh, so thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to yeah. connecting with you and your uh, audience. Awesome. Um, okay, so and you, you were like headed right down this route in your last comment, Chris, but um, just in an effort to kind of bring a little lightness and joy and hope into the conversation as we wrap up some additional hope. Um, what are some things that are bringing you joy in your life right now? What brings me joy? Um, oh gosh, that's a hard question, Michelle. <laughs> and that's just hard because there's a lot of things, right? right? One of the things that I have learned this pandemic, again, and, and going back to my last comment of like, and take time for yourself, it is to reflect and think about myself, uh, myself, right? I think connecting with my own feelings. Because again, academia has pushed me to not consider my feelings oftentimes, but what this pandemic has done to me is to reconnect with myself, but also with my family, my friends. Uh, so that brings me joy that, I'm, a, that I, I'm able to one, call it out what I was missing mm -hmm. and now that I can take action. Although I might not be able to be physically with them because of the current you know, uh, pandemic, uh, but also I'm more intentionally at calling my parents, mm -hmm. right? Uh, telling them, I love you. Uh, and all my brothers and all my friends that I haven't seen in a long time, right? So that is something that I, it brings me joy that I'm able to want to call it out what I was missing, um, all right? Because yeah, I, I can go to the beach, I can say that it's joyful, but I think what it's very important here is that I been molded in a way to, to hide my feelings by the, the academy. So now the pandemic put a pause and said like, no, take time for yourself. Take time to express your feelings with your loved ones. Yeah. So that brings me joy. That's great. Well, 
thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today, Chris. I know there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of stuff, and there are always more things that people will ask of us, you know, and so you taking some time to respond to my ask um, and have this conversation, it really means a lot. So thank you again, Dr. Salinas. Thank you for inviting me. So thank you one more time. Um, as always, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by Saxa, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Erica Lee. As always, thank you for your help, Erica. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it's been a pleasure to host this episode. And before we leave, um, I want to close with a quote. And so I will just read it. The quote is, considering that language has history and history should not be deleted, we must remember that terms and labels exist for us and we do not exist for them. People create terms and labels to express their own realities and we should not let terms and labels create ours. And that quote is from our guest. Um, I did a little homework and tried to find one that I thought would uh, sort of frame our conversation, but also just really highlight the the humanness is what we need to be focusing on and not the labels. So, um, and that comes from Chris's article in the Journal of Hispanic Higher Education, The Complexity of the X and Latinx, how Latinx, uh, well, I'll read it as I have it written because it doesn't flow, but Latinx slash A slash O, Latina, Latino students relate to, identify with, and understand, understand the term Latinx. Anything you want to add? Did I do justice by you by using that quote? Uh, well, thank you. I was not expecting that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for your work. It really um, gives us a lot to think about and new ways to think um, and be intentional in the work that we're doing. So thank you everyone for listening and have a beautiful day. <laughs>